Welcome to PCI Cast, a conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Let's hear what the team have been talking about this week. Norman, uh, thank you so much for, for giving us a wee bit of time to, to have a talk. I think you're, you're only the second person to come on PCI Cast who has their own Wikipedia page. So there you go. Uh, well, it's a pretty short one, and rightly so. Uh, though, uh, as you may or may not know, it probably got a little bit added to it in the last couple of weeks. I don't know whether you're. I don't know whether you're aware that uh, I ended up as the front page story in the Irish News about ten days ago because I got a. I got a personal letter from the Pope. Now, no, no, Norman, let, let me ask this because it came out on the 1st of April. So there's a little bit of back and forward bet- between colleagues of texting me. Yeah. Is this for real? Let's, let's, this, this, is is, real? this is actually for real. Um, uh, and, uh, the, in a word, the background to it was I do, I do a fairly lengthy article for the Irish News about every six weeks. And back in the autumn, uh, the Pope had, and this is actually germane to our conversation this evening, the Pope had actually uh, issued a a lengthy encyclical called Fratelli Tutti, all of us brothers, on social justice around the world and what it would look like. So I said to the guys in the Irish News, uh, I'd be interested in doing just a comment on this because some of it's very good. There's a few weaknesses that I like. I said, they said, go ahead. So I did the piece. That's the last I heard of it. And then about um, the week, about uh, three or four days before the beginning of April, the Catholic Archbishop of Armagh rang me up and he said, Norman, this is probably the oddest phone call you're going to have today. I said, well, try me. He said, I have in my hand a personal letter to you from the Pope. I said, what? <laughs> So he said, told me. He said, what happened was, he said, uh, after you did the piece last autumn, I sent it off to uh, the Vatican, thought nothing more of it. And here we are. He has replied to you. And uh, you know, the text was in the Irish news. And basically all he said was, thank you for your comments. Uh, and uh, I, it was totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, totally unplanned. And the story, uh, the guys had to work on it a wee bit in terms of getting photographs. So the story was actually on an April Fool's Day. Uh, and as you say, um, that caused uh, just a few jokes uh, around the system. But it's, it is for real. Um, it is for real. And <laughs> let's say it is probably the most unusual letter I have ever received. <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, uh, well, you know that's that's uh, that, that's an interesting statement. You know, you've had a like a long and varied ministry, and you know this at this point that you say is the, the strangest long thing you, that that you've ever received. Um, but maybe for people who don't maybe know who Norman Hamilton is, or um, or, or or why we should listen to you, and, and we should. Who who are you, Norman Hamilton? You want to tell us a little bit of how you. How you came to faith and where you've been, where you've served in the in the past. Tell tell, tell us who you are. That sounds like a, a sort of a, a who am I and an identity question sort of to keep us occupied for the next couple of hours. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, well, I'm I'm from the, a little village called Macrolin near Lurgan. I went to Bodan College, went to Trinity, 
uh, my main interest there was in economics. So I would, uh, after that, I, when I graduated, I went into what was uh, what is now the Department um, of Commerce. This was Department of Commerce then, um, and I had a number of roles there, including, and this was of some significance for later ministry. I spent a time as a private secretary in the office of the minister um, of the department. So one got a really good feel for how the political system and the departmental systems work. And I'll probably come back to that later on. Uh, they sent me off to London uh, to the Civil Service College for training, uh, I, uh, professional training. Uh, and while I was there, I just sensed the hand of God saying to me, or the Spirit of God saying to me, this is not for you over the longer term. This is, in a sense, too secure and too comfortable. Uh, so the only thing I knew anything about really, other than that, was student Christian work. So shortly after I returned from my six months uh, in London of the Civil Service College, I resigned. <laughs> that did not go down well, because they just invested six months of public funds on me, but there we are. Uh, the earth is the Lord's, including training courses. Uh, and uh, I went to work as a staff worker with what was then the InterVarsity Fellowship, now the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship in the Northeast of England. Mm -hmm. And then did a couple of years there and then went to Leicester where their uh, offices were and looked after the work, worked nationally for a couple of years. Uh, married Evelyn, final year in Leicester, came home um, uh, and did my theological training at Union and then had six years, six incredibly happy years as the assistant in Roman Memorial in Finicky, because in the middle of that uh, um, pe period, uh, the minister, senior minister died of cancer, Alan Favelle, who was arguably, well, not, maybe, maybe not arguably, but was certainly the very, one of the very, very best expositors of the Bible and preachers in Ireland at the time. Mm -hmm. So I stayed during the vacancy and then moved from that uh, to the delights of North Belfast, where we were for about 26 years, uh, from sort of very professional middle-class South Belfast to the much more in-your-face life of North Belfast. And then a few years ago, when I retired, moved here to Balamina. Uh, we have one daughter, Julie, who is um, a maths lecturer in St. Mary's Teacher Training College in the Falls Road and loves it. So that's the way, that's, that's my world in um, three minutes. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful, Norman. Thank you for um, introducing yourself uh, a little bit to the, to the listenership, though. You, along the way, of course, uh, moderator of the, the General Assembly and involved, yeah, yeah. In, uh, <laughs> and involved in much in our denomination, from including public affairs yeah. uh, and, and, and all the rest. Uh, Tell us um, a little bit maybe about, uh, as we kind of get into this present uh, discussion, um, uh, you, you've had interactions, you've had um, ministry on the front line, as I suppose uh, you're, in, uh, uh, you're, you're um, alluding to there in North Belfast. What, has that, what, what have been some uh, kind of standout moments for you, maybe? Well, I'm, um, I, I'm a great believer in the fact that um, in the purposes of God, one's life is not a series of disconnected chapters. I'm, I'm a real, I'm really into that because the, the training that I got in the public service and the people I got to know in the public service 
uh, were of enormous help in handling the dynamics of North Belfast. Um, uh, I'll not mention names, but certainly when I was being trained in London, many of the guys who were at the top of their careers in the public service were colleagues uh, you know, at the same level as I was. So the senior public servants, many of them were just my friends. And that was a great help in trying to handle some of the very difficult dynamics of North Belfast. Um, I suppose the, the younger audience listening to uh, PCI cast will not actually remember the events of um, Holy Cross in the early 2000s. That was one of the, the five or six biggest events of my life because to compress a very complex social situation into a few words, what we had then was a six month, um, uh, six months of, of primary school Catholic children having to be escorted by the army and the police to their school, which was about 200 yards into a, a, a loyalist and Protestant area. Mm. And uh, every morning and every afternoon, the kids were escorted by the police. Um, and then, uh, and then, of course, in the uh, this was in my parish, a hundred yards from my front door, where the manse was. And I was faced at the very early stage. What is, as a local Presbyterian minister, what am I going to do with this horrendous um, uh, inter-community tension happening literally on my doorstep and involving kids of primary school from, you know, from P1 and, uh, and right up. And the, the, um, the, the impact of that was huge at the time and certainly helped to shape my ministry thereafter. Yeah, where, where you were there, kind of just on the Crumlin Road, uh, your months from memories just was just up from the Ardoin shops there, wasn't it? Just yes, that's there? right. That's so, right. you know, a, a well-known flashpoint yeah. uh, and, and place of, of tension in the community. What was your response then? How, how did you, as, you know, a, a parish minister in that part of the world, respond to those tensions? What, what did that course of action look like for you and for the church? <clears throat> well, on the morning that the protests started, my wife and I were doing our morning Bible reading. It was one of the Psalms. And the words of the Psalm were this, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I not be afraid. Wait for the Lord. Um, and those words with the army on the street and the tensions, the fear rampant, um, were, how, were, and I think uh, still are, crucial, crucial anchorage points for all my ministry, uh, particularly the need not to fear when war is either breaking out against you or, or around you. Uh, the promise of God's Spirit to, to actually guide you even though you have no advanced knowledge of what it's going to look like. Um, so that has been, as I say, a real anchorage point uh, over the years and has, I suppose, the Spirit of God has given me the, 
the the opportunity to go into these situations, but also my training in the public service, giving me some of the skills, if I can use that phrase, to be almost to know what to do and what to do there. Now, uh, uh, so uh, again, I, I do see, uh, as I said a few minutes ago, I do see life as being in the providence of God seamless, even if there are separate chapters. I mean, Norman, one of the iconic pictures I have of you in, in my head is I, I think you're in a in, in a jumper on the yeah. on the road. Um, um, maybe yeah. that was one of the ones that Irish News used, but it stands out in my head. You, you, maybe not. You were, you were saying that the civil service kind of kind of prepared you, but uh, I mean, mm. not the classic position where you would have thought no. Um, no. a Presbyterian minister, you know, formerly trained by the civil service. You know, I. I economics and all the rest, uh, you would find a PCI minister. And yet there you there you were. And I think the words of the Sam there certainly borne out as, as you put paid to that there in the how important mm. is that? Uh, and how important was that for you to as a minister to be there? Well I think it is and I said this recently in a in a in a Sunday sequence interview. I think it is absolutely essential to be on the street with the Lord. I mean, I, I cannot imagine effective ministry being simply in the pulpit and with the flock who come on a Sunday, as it were, or come to a midweek. Um, there are a number of, of key Bible passages um, that have shaped me. And one of the other ones, which, was, which is very much feeds into what I've already said, comes from my time with um, working... Um, uh, with the universities and colleges, Christian Fellowship. You may well be aware of the work of Tyndale House, which is the, um, since the academic side of the, of the student work. And the warden of that at the time, excuse me while I put a, a just a, just back in again. The warden, the warden at the time uh, was an Australian, Bruce, Bruce Winter. And he, uh, he mentored me quite a wee bit in some of the Old Testament. And the passage in Jeremiah 29 has been seminal as the theological backdrop to what I've just said about being on the street. Because it talks about God's people are in exile. They're hundreds of miles from home. They absolutely don't want to be there. They want to go back home to the security of Jerusalem. And God says, well, you're going to have to settle here for the next few generations. And then, crucially, it says, you're to seek the welfare of the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So the well-being of God's people is intimately related to the well-being of the society in which they are in, not the other way around. And that's, what, that's why I am so biblically and theologically committed to being on the street. If, 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 if the city prospers, these are people you don't like. If the city prospers, you too will prosper. Talk to us a little bit then about what that might look like <clears throat> for, for, for Ben and me today. I mean, Ben and I are... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're pastoring congregations in loyalist working class housing estates, and yeah. it'll be no 
surprise anyone that you know in the past you know two or three weeks mm. tensions in loyalism in this part of the world and yeah. in you know, areas with you know loyalist areas um tensions have been simmering over there's yeah. been violence again on our streets the likes of which we haven't seen for 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 five six or, six or seven years yeah that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, how can how can ben and i do that how can other people how can members of the church do that sessions ministers listening to this how can how can we go about and be you know with jesus on the streets when there's lumber flying when there's petrol bombs flying when there's cars and buses being burnt out what what does that what's that look like well, I mean, let me let me be be clear, uh, uh, guys. I am not going to tell you how to minister in your situation, but what I can share with you is some of the principles that I learned over the years, which I think need to be br- that can be brought in, yeah. and that will help shape an effective ministry. If I can use that phrase, I think number one is to get to know the people on the street. Um, get to know the local community association, get involved in the local community association, get to know who the the councillors are for your area, have coffee with them, um, or go for lunch with them, get to know the other clergy in the area, um, whether they're Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, in other words, if I can put it like this, one of the things that has I have found really, really useful is to what I call to triangulate the the guidance and the advice I get. Now, what I mean by that is that I will, for example, if say a situation is developing, I will talk to perhaps a local councillor. I'll talk to some of the guys in the community, maybe talk to some of my colleagues, get three different perspectives. And out of those different perspectives, say to the Lord, right, how do I navigate myself through this? Very interesting point was made in a, in a conversation that a number of us had with Tim Farron, the former leader of the Liberal Democrats, about a month ago. And uh, uh, he put it really well. It was a sort of a, quite a new construct on something that had been, it was somewhere in my subconscious. He said, um, Wider society is increasingly illiterate about what it means to be a Christian or what the gospel is. But there is no excuse for Christian people and church people to be culturally illiterate and politically illiterate about what is going on around them. Mm. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, That once you make friends with these guys, and I mean, make friends with these guys. I mean, I, I, I have, and I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm very content to say this. I have guys in the paramilitaries that I have lunch with. Now, I haven't had it during COVID, but I go for lunch with them. And uh, I, I talk to them about what's on their heart, talk to them about their families. I talk to them about all sorts of things. And um, inevitably, one gets around to saying, well, look, I mean, you're, you're a Protestant. What does it mean to you to be a Protestant? What's the difference between being a Protestant and a follower of Jesus Christ? Mm. Now, I'm not, I need to be really clear here. You don't engage with, with the wider community as a sort of hook on which to get them into church. You do, as Bruce Winter from the Tyndale Fellowship 
uh, at Tyndale House, constantly mentoring me. You do what is right simply because it is the right thing to do. And then you expect the Lord and look to the Lord to honor that. So there's not a subtext here. But when you're in a relationship with folks, and you know this from all of your ministry, when you're in a relationship with, with folks, it's, it's very easy to talk about the Lord, talk about the gospel, talk about the things that are troubling them and where the Lord fits in. So uh, uh, I have to say those conversations are they're not necessarily straightforward, but they're a real delight because you have built the relationships. And that means, and, and I'm, I'm going on a wee bit, and I shouldn't go on as long, that when the trouble comes to an area, you can ring them up, you can go and see them and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Relationship, relationship, relationship with the people who make the local community tick. Yeah. I'd, I'd echo that, Norman. Uh, very, very wise words. Uh, that's one of the things we found in Craigie Hill. Actually, the church is a, a place to put people to, to triangulate, just as you said. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you find out, actually, maybe the, the councillors don't know the community association as well as they should, or the police uh, don't know the councillors, don't know the... Uh, and the, the church that's can right. be almost, in the heat of this, be an, a nexus, as it were, right. for conversations that can seek the welfare of the city or seek right. the welfare of the area. Yeah, very, that's right. Very, very much so. What, let's maybe have a slightly lift ourselves up maybe from the street a little bit perhaps and uh, consider your thoughts on why this is happening. What is, what's going on here? I mean, I've seen the, the I've seen the stones fly with my eyes. Um, I wasn't throwing it. It wasn't our youth group, honest. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> what what's hap what's happening? Uh, just before I respond to that, I remember um, I, I, one of the things I always asked the Lord to do was to just give me a feel as to whether I should go down to whether a riot was or not. Mm. Um, if you go. You, there's a risk you're simply going to be a voyeur looking in on it. Yeah. If you don't go, you're, distance, you're distancing yourself from what is happening. So my, on the whole, I went. Um, I always wore my dog collar. One of the few occasions I'd have worn my dog collar because I was making the point to the police, to the communities, that I am there as a Christian minister, as a Christian pastor. That's why I'm there. That was always uh, all sorts of funny stories out of that, even in the, even in the darkest situations. Uh, um, but the what is going on here? And I, I, I there are many things, and and I think the statement of the church leaders um, uh, in in the week of our recording, which is the what is the third week in in um, the, the third week in April. Is an exceptionally good piece of work. Exceptionally good piece of work. Um, what you have is the the breakout in violence of underlying ambiguities that have been around for a long, long time. Um, these things don't drop out of the blue on a Tuesday afternoon. No. And I think those of us who, I said this recently, I think those of us who are, we're, the three of us are all third level educated. Mm. Um, 
that when you have little expectation of what life can be for you other than what you have experienced in the past, then there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't join the fun, join the party, why you shouldn't get involved. Um, now, now, people may be shocked at my saying that, but if this, I mean, I remember um, at, the, uh, at the last big um, event at the Ardoin Roundabout, over the, the, mar the, the unfinished march of the Orangemen down the road. That, went on, that protest went on for months. And I remember one uh, uh, being told the story of a 12-year-old whose mum put him to bed. And at midnight, he shinned down, the, he went out the window, shinned down the, shinned down the drain pipe. And he went up to the roundabout to see what was going on because he knew his mates were there, unbeknown to his mother. Now that in its own way, is it was a seminal example. There is more excitement here than anywhere else in life. And that takes us into complex issues around education, around uh, expectation. As a statement of fact, the highest achieving group educationally, and we can, we're not talking about arguing about the transfer test, the highest achieving group in, in Northern Ireland academically are rural Catholic girls. The lowest achieving, achieving group in Northern Ireland are urban Protestant boys. Mm. And if you, if you have no hope of a job because you don't have the qualifications, if you are second or third generation, from uh, homes where education has not been significant, then other things get your attention, especially drug dealing and criminality, and that makes you easy prey. So there's all of that. There is also the highly contentious issue. I've lost my, my, uh, my, my earphone again here. There's also the highly contentious issue of home life and family life. And I am absolutely not, and I want to be really clear, I'm absolutely not criticizing folks whose home life is difficult. But if home life is difficult, then that accentuates the problem. So you have social problems, you have educational problems, and you have some very uh, nasty elements who are able to exploit this and turn it into rioting. Yeah. I mean, you said a minute ago there that, you know, folks listening might be surprised at your saying, you know, these are the reasons, you know, people might be expecting, you know, us to come, or you to say, you know, the reasons for this are Brexit, the reasons for this are the, the Bobby Story funeral, the reasons for this are X, Y, and Z, things that have made the headlines in the past three months, but I think what you're, what you're saying, and certainly probably what, what Ben and I would agree with, having and speaking to people on the ground is that these are not the causes of this yes. violence. The root That's causes right. of this violence are much deeper, much systemic, and much more systemic right. and much much more deep seated than that, that than is the, right than, than, than these short term instances. How how do we <clears throat> how do we as a, a a country a nation of people go about 
solving that? Is that a question that's too big for uh, solving a, a PCI test? You know, how, so, how solving what, Craig? These these systemic issues that you've been talking about there, the 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 the, the lack of uh, the lack of desire to, to want to progress, the, the fact that our system, I guess, has produced um, the reality where, as you say, Protestant urban boys are the most underachieving in in our country. What what how how do we fix that as a as a nation of people? Well. Um... One of the things that that um, and I I I genuinely don't want to be contentious or controversial. I just want to, if I may, get into some difficult territory, mm-hmm. but not. And it's important to say this: not in a blame game, not in an adversarial way, but just to draw. Given that you've asked the question, to draw on my perception experience over the years. Churches are not good. even either centrally or congregationally, of being advocates for something. To put that another way, uh, whilst we may have representatives, we may have, we do have representatives, for example, on the the boards of governors of many local schools. What do we see our role in education as being locally and centrally? Now, that does take us into issues around the transfer test. If you are, if you, you guys, if you guys are on the board of governors of a primary school, and maybe you are, I don't want to know, all right? But if you are, what is your view about the transfer test for the kids in P6 in that school? Do you, are you supportive of, of, the focus being on that, and if perhaps a few managing to get or to pass the, the test, or are you are you in favour of um, homes of um, uh, home tutoring so that more will do it, more will pass? What do you see? As, as a governor supporting the principal of the school, what do you see as the best, as the way to bring the best education to all the kids in the school? Do you actually have a view on that? And I'm not, I'm not being critical here. Or do you simply see your role, or sorry, primarily see your role as to supporting the principal in whatever he does or she does. I think that's quite an important question. As a, uh, in our conversations with our councillors and MLAs, why do we not lobby for better school provision? And that comes in a whole, that comes in a whole variety of ways. In other words, I suppose I'm saying that we tend to be relatively passive about our views of education. And I think there's a problem there. Because after all, the churches were at the forefront of, of innovative education. Sunday schools, for example, being a very good example.
making sure that people read, um, were able to read, were able to do their their their, their basic their their, their basic um, um, going to say their basic maths and so forth. So we have a long history of being involved in education, but we have backed off at local level, arguing for the best education in these areas that can possibly be provided. It sounds like, Norman, it's an argument for a, a muscular um, perspective and arguing uh, for a reason of expectations. I grew Absolutely. up in the South. I grew up in the South. I was educated in the, in a Christian Brothers school. And mm -hmm. well, well, it was drummed into me uh, at secondary school, the, the importance of education and uh, the, the worth of it. And I mean, this is not a new thing for 15 years, probably more than 15 years we've been hearing about uh, Protestant working class boys uh, and educational attainment. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> It almost feels like a society, you know, uh, a, a whole societal, um, almost shunning. Or I mean, people are saying people are saying things, but nobody, nothing seems to get done in, in controlled schools. Uh, the, the raising of expectation um, for P1 and right through uh, seems to uh, seems to be called for. And teachers are doing their best. And, and we'll have Christian teachers who are who are listening to. We have lots yes. and lots of faithful uh, listeners who give their lives uh, for <laughs> to, to the to the cause of education absolutely but the but but, but I, and i don't want an answer to this when was the last time you talked and the listeners talked to their mlas mm. about education in the area mm. um I, 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 I don't want to be, again, I don't want to be contentious, but it does seem to me that we, we seem to think that the only issues on which we should be um, talking with our elected reps are social issues such as same-sex marriage and abortion. I would want to argue that education needs as much attention as that. I think I would want to argue that that uh, that that uh, proper housing uh, is every bit as important because if you are living in a house which is rented and your landlord doesn't care tuppence, you are being treated like dirt. Your your rent is being perhaps paid for uh, through the welfare system but your landlord has no interest in you. The quality of housing is, is atrocious at times. Uh, and this cycle of, of just living in a devalued way of life continues. But we don't argue, we, we, we don't get um, um, anxious about that. Uh, and I, I think this is what Tim Farron was getting at, that God's people, really do need to be culturally and politically literate about what is going on around them. And because, the, as Jeremiah puts it, the welfare of the city uh, is, uh, is almost first and foremost, and out of that becomes the welfare of God's people. To be stretched under God into areas that are 
new and demanding and so forth, I think is a great training ground for evangelism and, and blessing to a wider community. Just before we wrap up, Norman, um, just just over the weekend there was the 23rd anniversary, 23rd, 23rd birthday of Good Friday Agreement here in Northern Ireland. Looking back to how it felt to see the political leaders at the time putting pen to paper to that agreement, I remember I remember playing out in the garden and my dad called me in and saying, come in and watch this. Uh, as as these people uh, agree and shake hands because things are going to move forward. You know, you're not going to grow up in the same Northern Ireland that I grew up in. I remember my dad saying that here we are 23 years further down the line. If you were writing a birthday card for the uh, Good Friday Agreement and the institutions that they, that they set up, what would you write inside? What would you want to say 23 years down the track? And do you think we're still going to be in the same place 23 years from now? Or do you think things are going to look different? What's your, so I guess what I'm saying is, where are we now politically in our land? And do you have hope for the future? Well, let me, let me respond to that in a slightly odd way. In, when, um, in my mod year, Evelyn and I mo, mo, usually do an overseas trip. And we, we were going to see our, our missionary colleagues in Malawi. But we went via South Africa. And the question that I wanted to explore with church leaders there was 15 years on from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the end of apartheid, what have you learned? And I remember vividly my most vivid memory, which still haunts me, <clears throat> was having lunch with um, a black African bishop. Now, the fact that he was black was quite important in this story, uh, an Anglican bishop. Uh, who was black and in the middle of lunch I turned around to him and I asked him that question now, this fellow would have been um, would have done well in terms of his um, his size in the Welsh front row uh, rugby big fella and he turned away from me like this he turned his back on me and it seemed like an age before he turned back I thought I have insulted him. I, I'm in trouble here. When he turned back to me, there were tears streaming down his face. And he said, Norman, I am ashamed to be a bishop in the Anglican church. I said, why? And this is the point. He said, when apartheid came, we rejoiced and we handed the future of our land over to the politicians. We backed away. Don't you do the same in Northern Ireland after the Good Friday Agreement? Now that has haunted me because <clears throat> um, what we have in the Good Friday Agreement was a bit like what the South Africans had in apartheid was the promise of a settled, of settled community life and the rebuilding of relationships. That in South Africa has not happened and it's not happened here either. And it has not happened here because civic society generally and 
God's people, the Christian people, the Church of Jesus Christ, has opted out of making the relationships that were fundamental to making the Good Friday Agreement work. We have not built the relationships with our elected reps. It's always an interesting question when I'm doing seminars or workshops. I say to guys, who, who are your local councillors for the area? Who are your local MLAs? Who are, lo who are your local MLAs for South Antrim? Or wherever. Very few people can tell me. We leave it to them. And then we complain when it doesn't work well. So I am not optimistic that things will change very much unless wider society, and I would say led by local churches, actually engages with the issues that are troubling. Because the thinking that has got us into the position we are now, the paraphrase Einstein, isn't going to get us out of it. And if we are called to seek the welfare of wider society, if we are called to be, you know, blessed are the peacemakers uh, and the hall and the of the Beatitudes um, and the, the constant encouragements in Paul's letters to be an examples to wider society to encourage one another and to pray for those in authority. Unless we actually take scripture seriously, I genuinely don't think that an increasingly secular society will be able to deliver the peace and the, and the welfare that we want. And I am an optimist by nature. So my plea is get to know a large number of people who make your local community work build the relationships with them and work with them for the welfare of the city. And that is not an add-on to congregational ministry or congregational life. If it's an add-on, don't bother. Oh, that's great. Those are, those are wide word, wise words of advice uh, for which to finish our, our, our chat this evening. Norman, again, thank you very much for, for taking the time, you know, from, from speaking to... Delight. Speaking to Ben and Craig <laughs> in your living room, it's been it's been great. Thanks for for, for chatting to us. A delight. Thank you for having me. All right. I good know. night. Thanks, thanks, listeners as well. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to PCI Cast. Join us again next time for another conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter using at PCI Cast. See you next time. I remember one particular one. I had a, a, a girl uh, from the States who was doing um, a dissertation on Queens and political science. And, uh, as a, and um, she, she was actually doing the interview with me uh, in the manse that night and I and the rat was got underway so I said well I'll tell you what why don't you come down and let you see what it's like because she was doing it on 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 civil disobedience so we dandered her down to the artillery roundabout and um, uh, the stones were flying I said I think we better duck behind a behind a, a Land Rover here which we did 
the Land Rover was parked about three feet from a wall. We were in the gap between the wall and the Land Rover. A brick came over, bounced off the wall and hit her. <laughs> and I remember saying to you, put that in your dissertation, you're guaranteed to pass. And she did. <laughs> 